Father, thank you that you have given us your word, that we have given us your scripture to nourish us, to lead us, to direct us in the way that we should go. Lord, I pray that you take my meager words and that you'd use them for your glory. And I pray that we would have hearts that are open to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Amen. How are you with rules? I feel like most people fall into a couple of categories. We have the kind of the rules, they're made to be broken camp. And then they have the camp that's probably where I sit, which is rules, I love them. Give me a good rule and I will follow it. I will stick to it. Especially if you can explain to me why the rule is there. Um, as, as I've got older, it has to be said, I'm more, more likely to break rules, but only if I know why and if I disagree. But so I'm a stickler for rules. And the psalmist, I feel like I'm in good company here, he also clearly loves them as well. Um, We only uh, read three sections of the psalm, um, but you probably got the gist from it that he really loves laws, really loves laws, commands, rules. But it's also important to note um, he's not a legalist. And by that I mean someone who follows the laws just for the sake of following them. I can very easily fall into that trap. I'm sure I'm not alone. But the psalmist isn't just a legalist. He's got a much better and higher view of God's laws than that. And hopefully as I go through, I will be able to explain a bit why. But first, a little bit about the structure of this psalm. Um, It's long. We've established that already. Um, And I don't know about you, but quite often, if I've ever read through the Psalms, I'll go, oh, Psalm 116, I'll read that. Psalm 117, that's only two verses, cracking. Uh, Psalm 118, and you go, Psalm 119, I'm just going to skip to Psalm 120, and uh, and then carry on reading. So it's very easy for us to skip over it, just because we're intimidated by its length. But part of that is, um, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, you will see that there's little subheadings. There's Aleph which is verses 1 to 8. There's Bet, which is verses 9 to 16. And these are Hebrew letters. I'm probably pronouncing them wrong, um, because I did not study Hebrew, but they are Hebrew letters. Um, And a complete aside, uh, that's where we get the word alphabet from, is Aleph Bet, the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, It's an acrostic poem. That's why they've got these little subheadings, which are to do with letters. And we lose this completely in the English translation, but honestly, trust me, it is there. It's an acrostic. So, verses 1 to 8, Aleph, every single line starts with Aleph, that Hebrew letter. And then in Bet, every single line starts with letter B, equivalent. And so on, all the way through. So we read together Aleph section, War and Tor section. Um, so just three of the words. So you've got groups of eight verses, stanzas, which are all with one, the same, starting with the same letter. And this means that actually each verse, you can, you can take a single verse and you can look at it on its own. Each verse stands alone because some people would say the, the psalmist was most interested in making all the letters start right. So the, uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to write an acrostic poem. I found some that I'd written when I was much, much younger. They are awful. They were terrible because I was so concerned with getting the starting letter correct that 
the sentences were just rubbish. Now, this psalmist is a lot better poet than that. But you can look at each verse on its own and digest it and meditate on it and absorb it. But there is also progression and there is also a building as well. If you do read through the whole psalm, there's a lot of repetition. I'm going to explain a few words in a moment that are repeated again and again and again. And the effect can be quite overwhelming. Some find it overwhelming in a not a very helpful way, but the effect is meant to be overwhelming in a positive way. This is talking about law, God's law, God's instruction. And the psalmist obviously loves it. There is no um, getting away from what the topic is. Even if you read just a few verses, it's very, very clear what this psalm is about. As I said, there's eight uh, key words that crop up again and again and again. Most of the stanzas have at least six of these words in each one. Some of them have all eight. If you turn to verse 41, which is the war stanza, you'll see all of them, all eight. And I'm just going to very quickly go through uh, what they mean, because they're very similar, but they have subtle differences between them. So word is one of them. Verse 42, for I trust in your word. This is the most general term that the psalmist use, um, and it just means what God's speaking in all the different forms that God uses. God's word, how God speaks to us. And then you've got promise, which is verse 41, according to your promise, may your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Again, this is something that is spoken. It's not a written thing, it's a spoken thing. Um, and we know what promise means. You know, it's a trust, uh, a vow. Statutes, you can see in verse 46. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. Now, you may know that God has made a covenant with us as humans, as mankind. And that covenant is made on the proviso of a number of terms, laws, Statutes, these are the things that the covenant is made by God with. Then commands, verse 47, I delight in your commands because I love them. That's quite straightforward. What are the orders? What are you meant to do? When you're doing as you're told, you are following God's commands. Then we've got two words which sound very similar in English because we've got law and laws. Just a difference with an S. They are different words in Hebrew though. Um, Law, without an S, is direction, instruction. In Hebrew, that's Torah. And you might have heard that uh, referred to, like the Old Testament for Jews is referred to as the Torah. It's the direction that God gives us, the instructions on how to live. We'll come back to that idea in a bit. Laws, with an S on the end, is much more like we would consider laws. Judgment, rulings, this is what has to happen. You know, you've broken the law, this is what is. And that's, uh, that's the sort of difference you see law and laws come up. Precepts, verse 45, I've sought out your precepts. These are kind of the close attention to the detail. If you've got the general law, these are the kind of the sub-laws, the, the specifics. And then finally, decrees. This is the permanent, carved in stone. No getting around it, it's not going to change. This stands. That's in verse 48. I may meditate on your decrees. 
So those are sort of the eight key words. Um, and as you say, they are all to do with the same thing. They're all to do with God's instruction, what God said that we should do. And it's really clear that the psalmist loves this. Verse 47 and 48, I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. I don't know about you, I don't think we generally talk about law and loving it much, um, particularly in society at the moment. I think we have a, a tendency to not want to be told what to do. We would like other people to obey the rules because it makes us feel safe and secure, but I would rather do things my own way. We don't delight in the law. It might be at best boring, functional. It's not something we bother ourselves with. But this psalmist delights in them. And why? Why is that the case? There's a few reasons. We see one of them in verse... One, straight away, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. For the psalmist, he sees a very strong correlation between blessing and following the law. So following God's commandments is a way of blessing. The psalm assumes that if you're not living by God's laws, you can't claim God's promises. But it also assumes that the converse, which is if you are living by the law, you will receive God's promises. So it's a way of blessing. Now, I want to be very, very clear here. I'm not talking prosperity gospel type blessing. There's a teaching which is really prevalent in the church and it's wrong, it's false, which basically says if you walk in the right way, if you do everything you should do, if you're a good Christian, then you will get health, wealth and success. Particularly the wealth bit has to be said. Um, That's known as the prosperity gospel and we don't see it in the Bible. But we do see bits like this which sort of hinted it and it's one A lot of false teaching is takes truth and warps it just a little bit. Um, And we do see here a link between blessing, following God's laws, and blessing. But the blessing is not necessarily material blessing. That's really important. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be healthy. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be wealthy. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything will go well for you. And actually, if you read the whole psalm, it's very clear that this psalmist knows that although he's saying if you, um, you are likely to get blessing if you live in God's ways, he also knows the reality that sometimes we don't see that right now. Sometimes we have to live by faith for what is yet to be seen. We will be blessed if we follow in God's ways, but that might come way, way in the future. This psalmist says, I'm laid low in the dust. My soul is weary with sorrow. Talks about being persecuted. The arrogant making traps for him. He's not blind to the reality of real life. But yet, he still says, this is a way of blessing. And why is that? Well, one of the big reasons is that this is God's direction for us. The Bible as a whole, but God's speaking to us, his word, his promises, his law, his direction. That's how we live well, live fully human lives. 
You've probably seen the slogan around at the moment, living your best life, and all the sort of permutations, living your best lunch. It's, I think someone's using it as an advertising thing at the moment. But there's this real thing about how do we live our best life? Well, the way we live our best life is by following the directions that God has given us. And the clearest way that he's done that is in this book here. We need God's direction to live well. It is a real blessing because God hasn't left us alone to say, I've created you, now go figure out how you do this being human thing. He's gone, I've made you human. Here are some guidelines. Here is how you live in the most human way. It's like if you've got a new uh, gadget. You have an instruction manual with it and you get the most out of that gadget if you read the instructions. Generally, I mean, some instruction manuals are terrible, but if you've got a good instruction manual, you're going to get the best out of the gadget. There's a really cheesy acronym for um, Bible, best instructions before leaving earth. Best instructions before leaving earth. Said It's very cheesy, but there is truth in that. How do we live well? We follow what God has said. We follow his law, his instruction, his direction. Another way that law is free, um, the law is blessing, is that structure gives freedom. In verse 45, the psalmist says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. It's not I'm going to be free despite being constrained by the law. We quite often see rules as constraining us. But the psalm says, actually, rules broaden my horizon. They give me a bigger view of things. They give me freedom to walk around. Now, we don't like being told what to do often, but if we're honest, we all need that framework, don't we? Have you ever come across a kid, or an adult for that matter, who has no boundaries whatsoever? They're quite often badly behaved, but they're also deeply often really unhappy with that because we need the framework, we need the guidelines. Or another uh, example would be jazz music. Jazz musicians muck about with the rules of music all the time, but they only can do that because they know what they are in the first place. They have the framework within which they then have the freedom. So law, God's instruction, gives us freedom because we know what the boundaries are. We know the points beyond which we cannot cross or should not cross. So what about us? How do we approach scripture? The psalmist had the Old Testament, perhaps not all of it. Um, We're not quite sure when this psalm was written. They certainly would have had the, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, some of the prophets. We have the whole Old Testament and also the New Testament and the whole gospel. But how do we approach scripture? Do we delight in it? Do we think about coming to read the Bible and going, brilliant. You know what, I can't think of anything better that I'd rather do than study God's word and find out more about God's character and how he wants me to live. Or do we think it's a bit of a chore Now, I'm not saying there are certainly bits of the Bible which are easier to read than others, certainly, and even more so, bits that are easier to apply to our lives than others. But do we delight in it? 
And in verse 7, he talks about, not just in verse 7, it's just an example. It said, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. Even if we've got to the point where we go, actually, it's important, I'm going to study the Bible. Do we praise God as we're doing that? Or is it a bit begrudging, out of duty or obligation? As I learn your righteous laws. Now, there's a difference between learning information and properly learning. When he's talking about learning here, he's not just talking about uh, cramming for an exam to be able to regurgitate the information. He's talking about the learning which means he sits in your heart and you apply to your life, you obey. I said in the first service, one of the saddest things I found when I was um, studying theology was when you'd read academic theological works and people, and these academics, not all of them by any means, but some academics, they clearly knew the Bible so well and they clearly didn't know the God of the Bible at all. And it's one of the saddest things when you see people, and you might come across Christians who really know the Bible, who can, t- who can tell you verse after verse, but they haven't learnt it because they're not obeying it, they're not living by it. It hasn't reached their heart. It's just head knowledge. So do we learn? And as part of that, the psalmist talks about meditating. I meditate on your decrees, in verse 48 he says, and elsewhere he talks about meditating on the law. Now, to meditate on the law you need to know it. And I challenged the, the 9.30 um, service saying, there's a danger for us, isn't there? There's a temptation. We've got, we've got the book. We've got the Bible in book form. We can get it on our phone, on an app. We can listen to it. We go, we don't need to learn any of it. I can just look it up. And if I don't remember a verse, as long as I remember a word or two, I can type it into the search bar and I can find that verse. But actually, there is something really valuable in memorizing scripture, meditating on it. You can't meditate on it if you don't know it. I'm going to hold my hands up and say I'm really bad at memorizing scripture. I am terrible at it. And part of the reason I'm terrible at it is I go, I don't need to. I don't want to. I'm not very good at it. That's a big one. I'm not very good at memorizing stuff, you know. Uh, maybe people of an older generation, you had to memorise stuff at school. I never really had to do that. So my memorising bits of my brain are a bit rusty. I'm not going to bother. It's a really easy excuse, isn't it? But let me challenge you to go, it's worth it. It really is. And actually, if you think about it, you might be doing this already. I'm going to pick on John again, like I did in the first service. John, how many songs have you memorised? So John knows 120 worship songs. He knows the words and the chord progression. He can definitely memorize some Bible verses in amongst that, yeah? What about if you've ever learned lines for a school drama? You can memorize some Bible verses. Have you learned a friend's telephone number or your credit card number? 
you can memorize some Bible verses. I'm not saying it's easy for some people, it's easier than others, but a lot of it, when we go, oh, I can't memorize it, is because we just don't put the effort in. We don't try. And maybe if you only learn one or two, then when you really need them, they're there. And God can use them and call them to mind. And one final thing. The psalm, if you read through the whole of Psalm 119, it's really clear that the psalmist is not just talking about the text. Don't get me wrong, the Bible is so important. The text of the Bible is really, really important. But he is also talking about how God speaks in all God's forms, all the ways that God speaks. For the psalmist, the Jewish oral tradition would have been really key as well. Remember, a lot of them didn't have it written down. They learnt it. And they learnt with it the commentary that went verbally. Even in um, the world today, there are people who don't have access to the Bible or they might have access to a page and they memorise that page and then they pass it on to someone else and then at some point they might get another page of the Bible. But along with that, they have the discussion and the commentary. In Anglican um, thinking, as well as a lot of church traditions, there's sort of three aspects to how we interpret the Bible, using the Holy Spirit in all of them. But there's scripture, the actual the words of the Bible, there's tradition, what the church has done throughout the years, and then there's our own personal experience and our corporate experience as well. And we need all three of those to make a kind of right judgment about what God is saying. You can't put too much weight on any one of those, but you need all three. So how do we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us as well? So Psalm 119, it's long, but it's worth reading. How do we delight in God's law? Is it a delight to us? Do we see it as a blessing that God has provided us with guidance of the way that we walk, that we don't have to figure it out ourselves, that we can follow in the instructions that God has given us? I'm going to finish by praying the final section. A lot of this psalm is a prayer. We said this together, but I'm going to use the final um, section from verse 169 um, as a prayer for us. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Amen.